one final good morning to all of our New Hope family. I'm grateful that you took the time to attend service this morning. I, I have to confess, when I walked outside this morning and I felt the temperature in the air and, and I saw that the wind wasn't really blowing very hard, it was still and it was nice. My heart was set on a deer stand. I'm just going to be completely transparent today. But I have to be here, and most of you are here too, and uh, I'm not going to say any names, but there's a couple people that killed a deer this morning. I just wanted to say, if you would have come to church and gone this afternoon, you'd have killed a bigger one. I just, it's the way that God operates. Hey, just a quick reminder, we do have our carnival this Wednesday night. We're going to serve our community. We're going to take advantage of the opportunity to, to share the gospel again and provide a safe place. I do believe that Pastor Lydia is looking for a few more just trump games that we could add to uh, serving those children and letting them play some of those games. There's always a place for you to serve. If you'd be interested in that, please email us, call us, and we'll get in touch with you, and we will find you an opportunity to do ministry. Also, we have a little bit of a window here. It's a rare window between um, our next steps that we have available on Sundays after our third service. So if you are not currently serving on a dream team, if you are not currently serving on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, even if you've been through Next Steps before, we'd like to invite you or invite you back. That is our process for assimilating people, helping them discover their purpose, and helping us impact eternity and Finally, I would be amiss if I did not make sure that everyone recognized those boxes for Operation Christmas Child are available. Please take the box and the instructions, and you can fill those up, bring those back to us with the money to mail them off, and we will be a blessing to a child that we will meet in the kingdom of heaven. We are in a series called Stranger stories. And uh, this is our disclaimer for the day. As Pastor Weston said for us last week, this is a PG-12 uh, kind of message. I'm going to do my best to keep it in the adolescent category, not even go into the teens. But if you have a child in the room today, I would invite you to take advantage of our children's ministries. We're not just babysitting. We are ministering to children, teaching and training them at their level. And those things are available to you today. If you are our guest, please come back. Uh, this is an awkward, bizarre story in Judges chapter 19. It's, it's going to get a little bit heavier today than maybe uh, the the usual inspire me with the gospel type message. But I do want to start out on, on a very high note, and then I'm going to come back to this before the end of the service. If you're taking notes today, number one, the very first thing I want you to write down or view or highlight on the back of your bulletin is that we are called to impact eternity. We have it on our wall right over here to your right. We are called to impact eternity. We are not just called to exist. We are not just created to take up space. We are called to impact 
eternity. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, I couldn't help but think of the little fainting goats. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I would love to have one of those things, but I don't think it'd last three days in our house. Like, that thing would never be awake. Every time it woke up, somebody would scare it back to sleep. <laughs> if you faint, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Your strength is small. And, and listen, let me just give you a little disclaimer here. Um, the Bible says that the Lord is our refuge and our strength. So if you're in a place where you're like, well, my strength is small. Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement today. Preacher, pastor, way to be a good shepherd for me. Listen, if your strength is small, it's because your relationship with strength is small. If your strength is small, it means that you need to make an adjustment in how much time you spend with him because the Lord is my strength and my shield in him I will put my trust but those who faint in the day of adversity have a weak relationship with God their strength is small verse 11 rescue those if you believe that you're a child of God if you believe that he saved you Filled you with his spirit. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. And hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. It is our responsibility as children of God. We are called to impact eternity. And the Bible says if we faint in the day of adversity, then our strength is small. So don't be that way. Don't shrink back in the face of persecution. But instead, be a part of the solution. Don't add to the complaint and to the annoyance. Be a part of the answer. Contribute to the answer. Because we are called to impact eternity. We are called to rescue those who are being taken away to death. We are called to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. As my sister mentioned, as Kelsey referenced just a second ago, a, a shepherd is only as strong as his staff, but a staff is only as strong as the sheep. We cannot accomplish what God has envisioned for Eunice and the surrounding area, for this state, for this nation, and sharing the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth without you. We need you to take the unction and be part of the rescuing of those who are being separated from God. See, the reality is that there are many who will receive salvation and inherit the kingdom of God and live and dwell in eternity with Him forever and ever. But there are many more who will be separated eternally from Him in a place that was not created for them called hell. It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place that Jesus referenced 
33 times in three years. It is a place that Jesus wanted to make sure that people knew existed, but you did not exist for it. It was a place that we have the ability, the anointing, and the authority to rescue people from. Those people are just as important as every person in this room, in the eyes and the heart of God. In other words, the people in the prisons. Did you know that we have an individual in this church right now that goes as often as possible to the prisons? And over the last few weeks, over 500 people have received salvation in the prisons because somebody in a seat took the unction to go and share the gospel. 57 of them just this past Tuesday night. And we need more because there's more prisons. Did you know that the 95-year-old in the nursing home where we don't currently have a ministry because I can't recruit and hire and facilitate enough people. We don't just have resource on standby to go and initiate a ministry to minister to that 95-year-old in the nursing home who is headed towards death and destruction, but we could be part of rescuing them from destroying themselves with the destroyer for all eternity. We could be part of holding back those who are stumbling into the slaughter in our schools, in the hallways, in the classrooms. God has put you there to rescue those who are being destroyed and to hold back those in the offices and the businesses in this community and the surrounding area, in the halfway houses, the food banks, and the shelters that we haven't even built yet. It is going to be the people People of God used by the hand of God. I can never hire enough staff to accomplish the vision that God has for the souls in this city and the surrounding area. But when the people of God come together as the hand of God and the body of Christ take authority in the name of God, they as the church can accomplish the will of God. We are called we are called not to exist in a seat in a sanctuary but to impact eternity we are God's anointed we are God's answer don't complain about it contribute to the solution John writes this way to the church, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, which is imagery towards all the churches in the New Testament. Verse 5 of Revelation chapter 1, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I'm so tempted to preach for about 10 minutes right here on the power of the blood of Jesus that when you don't 
know what else to say, when you don't know what else to pray, when you don't know a song to sing, you can simply plead the blood. When you don't have an answer to the circumstance in your child's life, in your spouse's life, in the atmosphere in which you have been positioned, you can say the name and plead the blood because the blood of Jesus is still just as powerful today. It is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And if you will plead the blood, then there will be a shift in the atmosphere of which you are currently positioned. Freed us. I see too many so-called saints in too much bondage. The Bible says that the ruler of the kings on earth has freed us from our sins. So it's not okay to stay stuck in your sin. But it can be. You can find freedom, discover purpose, and impact eternity by his blood. I don't have time to preach it. Verse 6 said, he made us a kingdom. Priest, plural, not singular. There's not a priest singular in this house. There are priests, plural, all across this sanctuary, watching us live online, listening right now in the prison cells. There are priests and priestesses listening and receiving what God has to say. His God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter, just to make sure that we understand it's more than one apostle. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's not writing to the apostles. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the people that say that they believe in the Savior. You are a chosen race. Those of you who have believed, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. See, in my notes, I highlighted royal in purple and priesthood in gold because when you marry purple and gold something significant comes to we play like we did yesterday against Alabama we're gonna get our tails kicked I'm just letting y'all that's you call that prophecy or reality whichever one you want to make it listen royal kingly priesthood anointing you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That means that the anointing of kingship and the anointing of priesthood is not reserved for an individual in a pulpit. The anointing is available to every individual that believes. What I'm saying today is, if you say that you are born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the empowerment to be a witness and an example, then God has anointed you as an individual to pick up the unction and operate in the sonship, in the kingship, and in the priesthood by which he has positioned you and put people 
all around you, not to be affected by you, but to be infected by what's inside of you. You are a royal priesthood, anointing available to every believer, a holy nation, a people, not a person, not a select few, a people for his own possession that you may feel really good about yourself and go home, pat yourself on the back and look down your nose at all the dirty, rotten, rebellious sinners that God has put in your life. No. No, that's, those days need to end. When you hear that come out of your mouth, you need to rebuke that devil. Because the Bible says that the anointing is not even for you. It's for the people that God put around you. It is to proclaim the excellencies of him. To proclaim the excellency of the one who if he didn't call your name and you didn't hear his voice, you'd be stuck in the same darkness that he now wants to use you to rescue people from. He wants to use you to hold people back from and into his marvelous light. Judges chapter 19. Judges chapter 19. It's a story about a, a Levite, a priest, positioned by God a believer, a person of God, and a concubine. The person that the priest was supposed to be responsible for. In this passage, in verse 2 of Judges chapter 19, we see that the concubine was, according to Scripture, unfaithful. But the actual Latin translation of that word was, she was extremely angry she became angry with the priest and she began to voice her anger and so the priest and the scripture called her unfaithful to him in that culture at that time and so she did what I will give my babies permission to do whenever a man of God starts acting like a disobedient idiot this she came back home to daddy and all the fathers said amen. amen come back to my house i'll take care of you and him if he shows up so she goes back to her daddy's house and then the bible says in verse three that her husband see it goes back and forth between what the author and the priest saw her as a concubine, and what God saw her as, a bride, a daughter. The husband went after her to speak kindly to her. It's a prophetic message for some of you guys, that when she becomes angry, if you'll just speak kindly, <laughs> so prof, don't you write that down. What are you doing soft answer turns away wrath. I'm just saying it's biblical. Well, I tried that. Well, try harder. <laughs> try again. 
Because you probably hadn't done it often enough for it to really matter that one time that you finally decided to do it. Okay, speak softly. He, be- he spoke kindly to her. And then for about the next ten verses, her daddy attempts to convince him to just stay with them. Like, just stay here in, our, in, in my presence. Stay here. And I'm sure that he would have let him go eventually. Maybe not. But... If you'll stay here, we'll take care of you. And so for three days, they stayed. And then on the fourth day, he attempts again, hey, just just stay here. And then the priest says, no, enough's enough. In other words, I've had enough of your presence. I've had enough of your protection. I'm stir crazy. Instead of staying the course, I've got to get out of here. And they end up going out as it begins to become dark. So point number two this morning is that this priest, one, we're called to impact eternity. But two, we can't become more comfortable in the darkness than we are in his presence. This priest became more comfortable in the darkness, in the world. He became tolerant and comfortable in what God actually had anointed him to impact. But instead of him having an effect on it, it had an effect on him. And we see this picked up in verse 14. So they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. He went in and sat down. In the open square of the city. For no one took them into his house to spend the night. So he gave up. And he sat down satisfied in the darkness. Number three, if you're taking notes. Because he became comfortable in the darkness. He became a coward in the danger. Because the beginning of all wisdom is a healthy fear, a reverent fear of the Father. But he would rather be in the darkness on his own than in the presence with the Father. So when he became comfortable with the darkness, he became a coward whenever something arose that he could not handle himself. Verse 22 says, As they were making their hearts Mary, who is they? Well, a man came into the city square and said, hey, you need to come to my house. It's getting dark and this is not a safe place. So he invited them to their home and he said, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, those who were headed for destruction, those who were on a path to the slaughter, worthless fellows surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, The master of the house. So you've got a master of a home and an anointed priestly man of God in the house. They said to the master, bring out the man, the priest, who came into your house that we may know him. For PG-12 purposes, I'm not explaining that, but you are interpreting it correctly. That they may know him, verse 23, and the man. The master of the house went out to them while the priest sat inside. 
The master of the house went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers. See, he had become more comfortable with the disobedient than the obedient. My brothers, my kinsmen, do not do such a wicked act. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Verse 24, Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Again, the way that the men saw her, not the way that God saw her. Here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you now. Violate them. Do with them what seems good to you, but against this man do not do this outrageous thing. This was their answer. To stay inside. To send somebody else out. See, he was willing to sacrifice others to serve himself. But he wasn't willing to sacrifice himself to serve others. Sound familiar? He sent the man, the Bible says what happens next is that, number four, he is careless. The priest is absolutely careless in the midst of the dysfunction. In verse 25, it says, the men would not listen to him. So the man, the priest, the Levite, seized his concubine, his wife, God's daughter, and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. Now just settle in right here. So there's two things. Number one, I want you to notice that at no point does anybody mention anything about praying. At no point does anybody mention anything in the midst of the enemies about interceding. I remember when I was at Broadmoor Assembly of God in the mid-2000s, we had a missionary come in. See, Africa and India and Asia, these nations are seeing the book of Acts come to life in their daily activities just as it is written in our book. This pastor said he was going across a bridge. He was a missionary. He had his family over there. And they were going across a bridge. And they looked up on the other side of the bridge. And some enemies came. And it was not a welcoming committee. It was an enemy to keep them out of the territory. He went to turn around to go back to the other side. And some enemies surrounded on that side. He was surrounded by enemies. So he, he did the only thing that he knew to do. He just began to pray. As the Spirit gave him utterance, he began to speak and to plead the blood of Jesus, to call upon the name of God, because the Bible says that he will encamp his angels around you. He will charge his angels over you. And he had spent enough time in the presence of the Father that he knew who to call in his time of need. And so instead of jumping off the bridge or just laying down and giving up, he began to pray. 
And the story is that the faces of the men who were walking towards them in wrath and aggression began to turn green and pale, and they became white as ghosts as they began to back up where they came from and eventually disperse in many directions. The story is from this missionary's mouth. Now, if you don't believe this story, that's okay. I heard him say it, and I believed it enough because I've seen it in Scripture. You tell me something I've never seen in Scripture, I might not believe you, but you tell me that the Word of God is coming alive in your life when you call upon His name, and I'm not going to second guess what He's already said. I'm going to give Him glory for it. And they said that those men saw an angel of the Lord coming towards them over the top of that man and because the Bible says submit to God and the enemy when you submit to God and you resist that devil then he will flee. In other words when you submit to God, resist the enemy, the enemy no longer has the availability or the opportunity to remain in that place any longer Listen to me. Jesus is not afraid of Halloween. Jesus is not afraid of the demonic. He's not afraid of the wicked. In fact, he does not even see the demonic, certainly the world, or anybody in it as a threat. He sees them as an opportunity. The demoniac ran towards Jesus. You know what Jesus didn't do? Oh, he took a step towards the demoniac because he knew in the authority in which he was walking. So he spoke to the demoniac. He took the world around him and used it as an opportunity to impact eternity. Didn't see it as a threat. Oh, look at there. That's that's an opportunity to win something for the sake of the kingdom of God. I got 10,000 people out and about in my city. I'm not going to turn off my lights and go hide in my house. Turn my lights on and go outside. Stand between the porch and the altar and be part of the solution as I am used by God to rescue those who are headed towards destruction and hold back those who are headed towards the slaughter. The reality is in a crowd the size of the people that will listen to this message today in here and online. Reality is that it's likely at some point some of you have been abused. And things have happened to you that weren't your fault. And I just came to tell you today that what was done to you does not define you. God can restore and redeem he can free you of sin that you committed and sin that was committed upon you as you are being washed by the blood and his word God doesn't say unless somebody did something so revolting to you that you can never get over he says I'll wash you white as snow in other words I'm not going to make you better. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to cleanse you from the inside out. 
and what was done to you can never be as powerful as what was done for you on the cross called Calvary when the tomb burst open and the resurrected Savior came out carrying his wounds into eternity. He was careless, the priest, in the dysfunction. The Bible says in verse 26, And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. Her master rose up in the morning as if he had been asleep while she was being abused. As if he had been asleep while the daughter of God or the potential daughter of God was being destroyed. He rested in his own religious, self-righteous protection. He arose, and when he opened the doors of the house and went to go on his way, do what? He wasn't even going to look for. He was just going, whoo, that was a good service. Sure, I'm glad we went to church today. I feel better. He rose up, opened the door, and went to go on his way. But behold, there, right there, was the concubine laying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. The priest was calloused toward her destruction. The priest was calloused. The world around him was being abused. The sons and the daughters of God were being led to the slaughter. And yet the priest was calloused instead of convicted. He said to her, get up, let's go. Just stop being that way. Figure it out. Get it right. Why can't you just get up? Let us be going. But there was no answer. So he put her on the donkey. This is where it gets a little gruesome. The man rose up and went away to his house. And when he entered into his house, he took a knife. And taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces. And he sent her throughout all the territory of Israel as a prophetic warning that if we don't get this thing right, then this is what's going to happen to all of us, whether in this life or in the next. See, the world around us and the people in it, they are the concubine. And the sons and daughters of God, we're the priest. And we cannot rest in the comfort of our own homes while those around us are wasting away into destruction. We can't be calloused. We can't be careless. We can't be comfortable in the darkness. Our city is dying at the threshold. The surrounding area, our state is dying at the threshold. 
Our nation is dying at the threshold. Our sons and our daughters are dying at the threshold. Marriages are dying at the threshold. Ministries are never even birthed because saints are satisfied to reserve a seat while those who could have been ministered to are dying at the threshold. The world around us is attempting to redefine identity, to redefine attraction, to redefine relationship, to redefine covenant, and we sit and we fuss about what song was played. What color the carpet is. How much money they spent on the new sanctuary. Well, they should have fed. I can feed a soul for a day or I can share the gospel for eternity. Which one's more important? We sit around and we fuss and argue about temporary things while the world around us is wasting away and people are dying at the threshold and God has anointed individuals who believe in Him to not just make a difference but to impact eternity and yet we sit and we become comfortable, we become careless, we become calloused. And the Bible says this should not be. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. I will most gladly spend time, talent, or treasure. I can't believe he'd ask me for my hard-earned money. What were you going to spend it on? I can't believe he's asking me to come up there and serve. Doesn't he know I work 40 hours? God only gave you 40 hours? You understand? We sit in silence while the world is being slaughtered, destroyed by the destroyer. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your soul. Verse 30 of Judges chapter 19 says, All who saw it said such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. And that's not even true because it had been done. Pastor Dylan actually pointed out to me this happened three different times in the Old Testament. An extremely similar story. But see, when you forgot, when you forget, who you are, you forget what God's already done to try to remind you. This has never even happened. I can't believe, we're in a worse state than we've ever been in before. No, we're not. We're headed in the exact same direction as the cycle of disobedience has been sending people since the book of Genesis. Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. So that's what we'll do. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. Listen, I'm not talking about being aggressive and ugly. You can't talk to people the way that I preach to you to try to keep your attention. That's not going to work. 
Like, I don't walk up to people in the community and say, I don't know if you met me. Hey, but I'm Pastor Chris Fry. I got a word from the Lord. Lend your ear, sinner. No, I say, I don't do that. I speak the truth in love. Humbly, meekly, ready to give an answer in season and out. Combining a lot of scriptures here, but the Bible actually says, be careful. Because in whatsoever you judge another, you actually condemn yourself. So when you bring correction, you need to do it with gentleness and meekness, lest you too fall into the temptation of the same sin. Consider it. Take counsel. And don't you dare justify your sin based on what I just said. Because the Bible said that he's freed us by his blood. In other words, it cost him everything that he had. So the least that we could do is surrender to the cost. Take counsel and speak. Let me ask you these questions. We'll pray. Will I live comfortably or will I live called? Will I live comfortably or will I live called? Will I live cowardly? Or will I live courageously? Will I be strong and courageous as God told Joshua, who was about to go up against the enemy? Be strong and courageous. Don't be a coward because what you don't handle, you will hand down and the next generation will have to take care of. And it will get worse if you don't make it better. Will I live cowardly or will I be strong? Will I live calloused or will I live with a sense of conviction? I refuse to sit behind my locked, closed, dark patio with my AR, by the way. I'm not against locking your doors. And protecting your family is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you come out of that house, you are put there to impact eternity. Because the anointing is not reserved for individual. It is available to every believer. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me this morning? To every child of God, to every follower of Jesus, open your heart, receive the challenge today. Not to watch ministry being done, not to be a spectator, not to live comfortably, but to live called. Not to live as if I still have a spirit of fear, not to live as a coward but to be strong and courageous in our God. Not to live calloused because we have become tolerant, but to live with a sense of conviction that would cause us to impact others for the sake of the gospel. Ask the Lord right now, right where you sit, as every follower of Christ in the room, Lord, what's next? If you already know, then ask forgiveness for your sin of omission. 
for not doing what you know God's been telling you, calling you, coercing you. He's given you a burden for it. Let it birth. Lord, what's next? What are you calling me to? God, what's in my life currently that doesn't need to be any longer? Where have I allowed apathy to replace anointing? Help me. Forgive me. I will not rest while my city goes into waste. I will not rest when the world around me is calling for an answer. If you're in the room right now and the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, you're calloused. Maybe you didn't commit the atrocities that we're seeing in this story today, but James said, listen, if you're guilty of one, then you're guilty of them all. But there is one who came and he lived and he was tempted in every way and yet he was without sin. And we all fall short of his glory. Every single one of us. And the wages of that sin, the wages of falling short of that glory is death, destruction, slaughter, separation from God. But the gift of God is Christ Jesus. He gave his life for you so that you could surrender yours to him and inherit his kingdom, his will, his life abundant. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. If you're in the room today and your sin or somebody else's sin has separated you from him, consider the price paid. Consider the path paved. Receive the joy of the Lord today. Receive salvation. If the Holy Spirit is stirring that in you right now with nobody looking around, we're going to pray a prayer in 30 seconds. And if that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to receive salvation right now. You need to commit your heart to Him. You need to surrender all. I want you to lift your hand right where you sit. Say, hey, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I surrender. I surrender. Take my life, Lord. That's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. If you need to recommit your life to Jesus because you've been drifting away or you've been comfortable, just lift your hand and say, hey, God, I see me, Lord. See me. I know you know my heart, but I just want to be faithful today. See me. I give it all to you. I surrender. Take my life and use it. So many hands all across the sanctuary. There's power in the prayer of confession. Come on, let's call upon the name of the Lord together today. If you raised your hand, even if you didn't, and church, come on, let's partner with all of these and even ourselves this morning to make sure that we leave this place in right relationship with Jesus. Pray this out loud. Jesus, forgive me for being comfortable, careless, calloused. We believe you gave your life so that I could live. God, take my life. Make it yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Use me.
I believe you can use me to make a difference, to impact eternity. May I follow you with all of my heart in Jesus' name.